Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Oh Brother. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, community. How are you feeling today? This, the weather is finally something that we can actually agree upon is just objectively wonderful, right? Like, people are smiling, they're using their turn signals, like, it's a really, <laughs> praise Jesus. Uh, as Sherry mentioned, my name is Ian, and uh, we're in the middle of this series, Oh Brother, and so I want to begin with a little game, and the game is this. I'm going to share a quote, and then I'm going to turn to you all, and together we're going to shout out loud who said that quote, all right? So don't jump the gun. I'm going to share the quote, and then I'll turn to you, and together we'll all identify Who said that quote? Are you ready to play? There's no prizes, so here we go. Um, First quote is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who said it? Mr. Rogers. Right. Um, What did I... Oh, it's Jesus. That's awkward. Uh, Yikes. Great movie, though. Uh, Second quote. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Who said it? Martin Luther King Jr., I don't know if you've read the entire speech. It's worth reading over and over and over again. It's brilliant. Now, this last quote, maybe uh, some of you will recognize. <clears throat> Yo, Adrian! And <laughs> Rocky, that's right. That was the worst sly impression, by the way. I'm really sorry that you all had to encounter that. My point is this, though, that words evoke emotion, Right? They can conjure imagination and memories. They can inspire movements. They can shape culture. So I want you to think about this question. What are some of the most impactful words that have been spoken to you? What are some of the most impactful words that have been spoken to you? This could be positive or negative, right? Because we know that they both make an impact. They could be words like, man, you're doing really well, or I see this in you. But maybe they also were words that were destructive, that were harmful. You should quit. You're a failure. You don't have what it takes. And I'll be really honest before we go any further. When I think of this question, what are some of the most impactful words that have been spoken to me? I also think about words that I myself have said. Words that I've said that I know that have hurt, that have cut down, that have discouraged, that I regret. So before we go any further, I just want to be really clear. Like, I'm, I'm preaching to myself today, okay? This is a difficult conversation. Now, I, I think that there's few things that carry more weight than our words, but then we also have, like, some of these dumb cliches, right? Like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? How stupid is that? We know that's not... Who came up with that saying? Like, a silent monk probably came up with that one. Like, someone who's never around words, because we know that like, a lot of like, physical harm will eventually heal over time, but many of the, the damaging things that we say can last an entire lifetime. So we're in the middle of this series called Oh Brother, and we're calling it that because it's written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Talk about pressure, right? So he's the half-brother of Jesus, and uh, he actually later becomes a believer, but not until after the resurrection and becomes so convinced of Jesus' deity that he is eventually martyred for his faith. In fact, historians tell us that somewhere around 62 AD, uh, the Jewish religious leaders brought James to the summit of the temple and they told them to recant 
Jesus. And not only does he not recant, he actually gives further testimony to Jesus. So an enraged priest throws him off the temple. Now here's the crazy thing. That doesn't kill him. So to finish the job, they climb down into the valley and they stone James to death. And as they're doing so, James is praying the same thing that his brother did. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But before his death, he penned a letter to the scattered church throughout the region, scattered because of great persecution, and he makes it really clear early in the letter what his goal is. His goal is to help this church, these early Christ followers, flourish so that they may become mature and complete. Mature and complete. He knows they're scared. He knows they're scattered. He knows they're all over the place. He writes specifically so that they become mature and complete. That's his goal. That's his focus. James also knows that there are pitfalls to our maturity. There are things that can trip us up, that keep us from becoming who God intended for us to be. And so in this series, we're unpacking five pitfalls. And the one that I want to talk about today is the pitfall of our words. Now, James speaks about words, our speech, more than any other New Testament author. In fact, it's in every chapter of James. He says something about the way that we use our words, the way that we use our tongue, which I think is really significant. This is someone who spent a lot of time with Jesus and he seems to believe that there's power in what we say to one another. Did you know that uh, you will on average spend one-fifth of your entire life speaking? On average, you will spend one-fifth of your entire life speaking. In fact, if you were to compile all the words that you say in a given year, it could fill 66 800-page books. 66 800-page books just with the things that we say to one another. In fact, the very beginning of the story, the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, it says that the world was coming into existence as a response to God's word. He was speaking and it was so it actually makes a lot of sense then that God would have some ideas about how we are to use our words. So we're going to be in James chapter 3, and I'm going to begin just reading a couple of verses, verses 1 and 2. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Which is awkward for me today. Um, <laughs> We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. That word really there means complete or whole. Able to keep their whole body in check. So right out the gate, James warns us that words can be problematic. Words can be problematic. What we say can be problematic. And it's inevitable that all of us at some point will say things we regret. Regardless of you're introverted, extroverted, whatever your love language is, whatever generation you're from, it's inevitable that we will all say things that we step back and say, man, I really, really regret saying that. Like anyone this morning, anyone here born with a silver foot in your mouth? Anyone? Don't point. This is church. Like, regardless of who you are or where you come from, we, we all know this to be true, that words can be problematic. But did anyone notice here... Uh, what he mentions about teachers. Anyone, when he said teachers, kind of let out a sigh of relief, like, whew, not me, I'm off the hook, right? Now, that word teachers there is the word didaskalos, which does actually specifically refer to, like, religious teachers, those who teach about God. 
But there's something else I think that's really fascinating going on here because part of what James was referencing here were people who have a platform, and not just like a platform that I'm standing on, but people who had a reach beyond their immediate circle of friends and family. And today, every single one of us has a platform that reaches way beyond our closest friends and family. And it's called what? Facebook, social media. Now, I'm not going to get up here. I don't think social media is good or bad, but we have a larger platform, a larger reach than anyone in James's day could have imagined. In fact, since the birth of social media, we now have like words in our language that didn't exist before, like cyberbullying, trolling, white soxing, people that always post about the white socks. These <laughs> phrases did not exist, and we plenty of us know the damage that those words can do. The damage that hurtful words, problematic words online can hold. So in case we don't recognize the full extent of the potential of our words, James goes on. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered, pay attention to that word steered, by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So likewise, we're saying horses, ships, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts The whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. That's intense, deliberate language. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay, so let's all take a deep breath in right now and then let it out. Okay. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. So let's unpack it a little bit. James wants us to see that words can be powerful. Words can be powerful. I uh, I just recently saw a comic that I think illustrates this really well. Here's the scene. So you got a superhero, a supervillain fighting in the sky, and the dad is like, cool, which would not be my reaction, but uh, for the sake of the comic, let's move on. The kid says, oh, I wish we had powers. And so the dad looks at the son, and the dad looks to his right and says, uh, see that sad-looking guy with the ugly hat? It's not me, by the way, but it's, it's similar. The kid says, uh, yeah. And then he says, watch. That is a pretty ugly hat. The dad says this, hey, your hat is awesome, and you're awesome for wearing it. And the guy says, oh, uh, thank you. And then the next scene, now look at his face. And then the father says, we all have powers. Cool. Like, how pointed is that? How powerful is that? We all have powers. The way that we use our words matters, and they have great power. In fact, they have such great power. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now? Just look them in the eye and say, I'm so glad you're here right now. Would you turn to your neighbor? Just tell them, I'm glad that you're here right now. (laughs) See, didn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good to have another human say, I'm glad that you're here right now? Okay, so so to make his point, uh, James uses a ton of imagery. Uh, the first is that of a horse, right? He talks about the horse and the bit that goes in a horse's mouth. So this is what a bit looks like, right? This is, this is it. And this is placed strategically over the horse's tongue. And with it, you can steer the entire horse. 
which is crazy, right? Like, that's wild to think about. How much does a horse weigh? Like 2,000 pounds. How much does a jockey weigh? Like 12 pounds. Like that's, right, like me size. Like that's, that's, and James is saying, this is what our tongue is like. This is what our words can do. It can steer even a massive animal. Now, the second analogy he gives is that of a ship, right? talked about a ship, and uh, here's the most realistic ship that I could find. Um, we all know ships look just like this one, right? It's a Lego ship, and I'm so nervous about even handling it right now, because I wasn't a kid with Legos. But he- here's my point. When you look at this, this massive structure of a ship, where's the rudder? The rudder's in the back, and it's this little thing here. Actually, this Lego thing is so epic, you can actually turn this, and the rudder turns. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah, I'm as fascinated as you are. He- he's saying, as As big as the ship is, as powerful as the winds are, what steers the ship? It's this little guy. Small part called the rudder. So he's not just saying they're powerful. He's saying our words actually, in some mysterious way, steer our lives. It directs where we go. Like, has anyone ever talked yourself into something? Like, you just psych yourself up to actually go to the gym or to actually hang out with people. Like, what we say actually directs the course of our lives. And with the ship, the turn, the slightest turn of a rudder can be the difference between cutting through the waves or crashing into the pier. The slightest adjustment will drastically affect the trajectory of your life. One word can wreck your reputation can fracture a relationship. It can destroy someone's career. But James doesn't stop there, does he? He says it's like a fire. It's like a fire that catches a whole forest ablaze. Like, I want you just to picture that for a moment. Picture the most beautiful forest you've ever seen, right? Like, Legolas is over here drinking elvish tea, and Smokey the Bear is putting up posters, and there's a, there's a match, there's a careless camper that sets the whole thing a blaze. In fact, when I was a little kid, I was, uh, I was in the Boy Scouts for about a day and a half, and um, <laughs> one of the things we had to do was build these model rockets, and uh, when we were there, one of the rockets went awry, and we burned down like six acres of forest. And to this day, our Boy Scout troop is still banned from the, from the state park. We are not allowed back, but just a tiny little spark, just a tiny little flame can set the whole thing Ablaze. He says our words are like a fire. And so for you, maybe your words are kind of like this. They're kind of like matches, right? Like you're pretty careful with your words. Um, and it takes a lot of friction for something that, like you could, you could strike this a couple of times, right? So it takes a lot of friction for you to actually, this is going to take longer than I thought. Uh, and there we go, right? Ooh. But then, oh, it's gone. It's out. That wasn't, that wasn't so bad, right? That could still do a lot of damage. But maybe you, maybe for you, your language is more like a lighter, Right? You ignite it once, and this could, this could burn, baby, burn for a while, right? This could go and go, and it could, it could withstand me moving a little bit. It's got stay power. Maybe for you, maybe it's not a lighter like that. Maybe it's a lighter with an arm, right? A lighter with an arm is, I'm not going to say it to your face, but I'm going to say it about you when no one else is around, and so you light that baby up, right? You can, you can really get some damage going. You could really do some harm. But maybe none of those are like you, right? Maybe... Maybe you're a little more like this. You're right to be concerned. Um, <laughs> some of you are like, is he actually going to? Oh, yeah, he's going to. Here, 
Here, you open the valve, right? You can hear it. Some of us, our words are like this. And that could burn and burn and burn because we got a whole tank ready. I got all sorts of things stored up that I know that will cut to the core that will do the most damage and they can burn and burn and burn. Some of us, our words are just like that. They will burn down an entire forest. Now, a careless camper can destroy a forest overnight. And I think we all know that a careless word can destroy a life overnight. Because here's the thing about fire and words, right? When they're in the right environment, when they're controlled, both fire and words can bring warmth and light, but can also burn the house down. Are you tracking? In the right context, when it's controlled, it can, it can be a source of great beauty and health and help. And in the wrong context, when it's out of control, it can do unthinkable damage. When we don't control our tongues, people get trampled, friendships crash, and someone ends up getting burned. Here, here's, what, here's what James is saying. Your words matter, not just for your life, but for everyone you encounter. In fact, he goes on even further in verse 7. It says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So he's talking about domestication, right? And domestication requires consistent and persistent attention. And anyone here uh, have pets at home? Anyone here have pets at home that you like? That you <laughs> Not like a stray raccoon or something, like something you actually... Int- okay, so if you were to like train your puppy one time, like you go here, not here, and then just left him alone, how would that go for you? It'd be chaos, right? You can't just train one time and then let them do whatever they want. The same is true with our speech. It's not just go to one small group or attend one Bible study or come to one service and I should just be good. He's saying part of what is at stake here is how we actually control and grow in the ways that we speak to one another. But then he goes on to say, though, that no human being can tame the tongue. Here's why I think he says that. He says no human being can tame the tongue because you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. It's not just about like flexing our muscles and gritting harder and putting up a stronger filter. He's saying you can't do it on your own. And we'll come back to that. So what does an untamed tongue look like? I think at this point, maybe you've thought up a, a number of different ideas or images of what it looks like to have an untamed and out-of-control tongue. And I wrote down a, a couple of suggestions, a couple of things. And if one of these resonates with you, I encourage you to kind of jot it down. Because these are all signs of an untamed tongue. And number one, taking cheap shots at people. Number two, repeating of rumors. Number three, sharing of details that should remain private. Like if someone says, hey, they asked me not to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. Be careful what you tell that person because they're likely going to tell someone else. Number four, uh, making yourself look good at the expense of someone else. Number five, gossiping. Or for some of the Christ followers, prayer requests. Um, <laughs> You know what, we've, right? We've, we've been there. We're all holding hands and someone says, Lord, I just, I pray for Sally. She's on her seventh marriage and you know, she was wearing those short shorts and Lord, we just, 
We, we pray for her, right? Wow, that's starting to feel a little more like gossiping than prayer requests. I mean, we've all been there, right? Have you ever had someone say, hey, did you hear about Gary? And we're like, all systems go, like, no, what? What happened with Gary? Tell me what happened with Gary. Gossip can show up in a number of different ways. Number six, maximizing the sins of others while minimizing your own. Number seven, adding irritating details to make the absent appear worse. Number eight, and this is one that I particularly struggle with, dismissing an unkind remark by saying, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. It's really easy for us to look at our words and think, wow, they're just words, right? They're just these little things. What does it matter? Little digs here and there can bury a relationship. Are we tracking? Little digs here and there can bury a relationship. That's not to say that there isn't a place for hard words. We need hard words at times, right? But do you, do you come with a scalpel or a hatchet? Both cut, but only one cuts to heal. This isn't about only saying nice, fluffy things to one another, but it's about being mindful of what are the kinds of things that I'm saying, not just to the people that I like, but to the people that I interact with all the time. But even knowing this, we still slip up sometimes, don't we? Why is that? Well, James gives us the answer here in verse nine. It says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he's, he's got this analogy of fresh water and salt water. It made me think of a story from a few years ago. I was, um, I was driving alone in my car and I was listening to Caleb, which I don't normally do. Judge me if you must. Um, and a song came on that I don't, I don't know what, it just like, it so moved me in that moment. And I'm like, it's like cranked and I'm like singing my heart out. Like I'm just having this, this worshipful moment. And right as the chorus hits, someone cuts me off in traffic. <laughs> and I let out a string of words that I can't repeat on this stage. I felt like in that moment, God was like, fresh water, salt water, right? Fresh water, salt water. Now, what I'm not talking about is cussing. This isn't about like, don't say these words, only say these words, because we all know someone who can cuss you out in Christianese. Am I right? There's a way to do it. I remember being at a talent show at our church and this, this guy was playing violin on the stage. He was trying to play violin on the stage and it was wretched. It was really bad. And this woman comes and stands next to me and she rolls her eyes and goes, oh, bless his heart. <laughs> what was the subtext, right? Bless his heart, that idiot, right? <laughs> Should never be playing violin. Conversely, I remember inviting a friend to church and he had, the guy had never been to church before in his entire life. And uh, so we, I finally convinced him to come and at the end of the service, I would always be in the back greeting people as they left. And he comes running up to me and as loud as he could, not even realizing, he goes, bro, that was bleepity bleep 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 amazing. Yeah. And like parents were like covering their children's ears and walking away. And, but what was he doing though? He was, he was saying four letter words, but what was he doing? Was he cursing me? No, he was blessing me. This isn't about, oh, don't say these words and say these words. It's about posture of our heart. James says, thirdly, that words can be revealing. Words can be revealing. In fact, Jesus himself taught us this in Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, 
Or does a bad tree bear good fruit? Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And here's the part I want you to really, really remember. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What he's saying is this thing, if there's a problem with what we're saying, it's ultimately a problem with what's going on in here. This will speak what's stored up in here. Maybe another way to put it, that whatever's in the well comes out in the water. Whatever's in the tree comes out in the fruit. Our words reveal what's really going on in the heart. If, If what's coming out of your mouth isn't what you want it to be, Maybe a better question is, what's going on in my heart? Now, the author of Proverbs, I think, puts it brilliantly. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We have the power to bring death and destruction or life and healing with how we speak to one another. Every single one of us. You don't have to have a microphone. You don't have to have a stage. We all have that power and potential to bring death or to bring life. So essentially we could put it this way, that the tongue directs where I go, it can destroy what I have, and it displays who I am. It directs where I go, it can destroy what I have, and it displays who I really am. So if our words have such potential, then how how do we use them well? I want to give us uh, just three quick challenges as we kind of wrap up here. The, The first is to speak healing words. To speak healing words. In fact, Proverbs 12 says it this way the words of the reckless pierce like swords but the tongue of the wise brings what healing again are you coming with a hatchet or a scalpel doesn't mean that hard words aren't necessary but I think we all know in our heart of hearts when we speak something did you did you mean to bring healing or harm with that phrase with that comment with that post with that tweet with that word harm or healing healing Words reconcile. They can make families strong and churches healthy. They can heal the brokenhearted. They can help people find their way back to God. In fact, I remember uh, years ago, I think it was my first or second year of ministry, I-, I was having a really tough time to the point where I was starting to wonder if I should be in ministry at all. And a mentor took me out for breakfast and he said to me, you're exactly where you need to be doing exactly what God made you to do. That was years ago, and you better believe I think about that conversation weekly. We do not realize the weight and potential of our words. Are we bringing healing or are we bringing harm? The second challenge is to speak healing words often. To not just speak them, but to speak them often. You guys know the phrase, I think it's from Bambi, if you don't have something nice to say, which I'm going to adapt that because I think that's an okay first one. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say nothing at all. But the Bible, I believe, goes way further. If you don't have something nice to say, think of something. If you don't have something nice to say, think of something. In fact, listen to the way that Paul says it in Ephesians 4. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But then he goes on. But only what is helpful for building others up. So he's saying, don't just stop saying bad things. He's saying, start saying 
good things. This word unwholesome here is the word sepo, which is where we get our word for septic. What's a septic tank full of? (laughs) Maybe don't yell it right now. Um, I'll put it this way. A septic tank is full of things that used to be life-giving, right? We have an opportunity for fresh water or salt water. He says, first, don't let any unwholesome, don't let any septic talk come out of your mouths, but build each other up. Bring hope and healing wherever you are. Healing words is not a finite resource. We can be generous with those words. We don't have to be stingy. When, when your spouse does something well, don't assume they know you're thankful. When your kid does something, let them know you're proud of them. In fact, even go a step further. Think of people you know could use an encouraging word. We don't have to be stingy with our words. I think too many life-giving words die on the altar of good intentions. Way too many life-giving words die on the altar of good intentions. We assume they know or that wouldn't make that big of a difference. Don't let pride or awkwardness or just downright carelessness stop you from speaking words of life often, wherever you are. And Jesus takes this idea even further, right? Because Jesus is always talking about enemy love. He doesn't say, hey, those that you consider your enemies, just ignore them. Just cut them out of your life. What does he say? He says, pray for them. Pray for them. Those are healing words. So maybe a question we could ask today of someone that you think to be your enemy. Have I prayed for my enemy half as much as I've criticized them? Have I prayed for my enemy half as much as I've criticized them? Here's the secret. Whatever you hope and dream and long for yourself, pray for your enemy and see if your heart doesn't begin to change. Whatever dreams you have for you in your life, pray those things for your enemy and see if your heart doesn't change. Which brings me to my last point. Check your heart. Check your heart. If you're finding it difficult to speak words of healing, we need to take a good look at our hearts. Are you angry? Are you jealous? Do you feel the need to always point out what's not working in someone else or something else? Are you an expert in all that's wrong? Here's the truth. A critical heart produces critical words. A self-righteous heart produces judgmental words. A fearful heart produces negative words. A bitter heart produces harsh words. But a grateful heart produces gracious words. A faithful heart produces truthful words. And a peaceful heart produces reconciling words. Check what's going on in the heart. If what you're saying isn't what you want to be saying, ask yourself, what's going into my heart that speaks the way that I do? What am I putting in my heart that speaks the way that I am right now? And so how do we fill ourselves with the right stuff? We ask God to fill us, to soak in his word, to spend time in community. The whole point of this is that God is the one that changes hearts. This isn't about like taking fruit off a really decrepit tree and duct taping new fruit on. The prayer is, God, I need you to uproot that tree and plant something new in my heart. Dig a new well. This isn't about mowing over the weeds in our yard. It's about uprooting that which is not life-giving in our lives. In order to change what comes out of our mouth, we have to change what goes into our heart. And that's a work that only God can do. God wants to do. It's not willpower. It's 
not gritting more strength. It's surrender saying, God, would you do something miraculous in my life? Sow seeds in my life. But seeds take time to grow. Seeds take time to grow. So I want to start small by all of us challenge. I want to challenge you to commit every day this week. Speak words of healing wherever you go. Think of the people you interact with, the places you'll go. Speak words of life and hope. The world is so full of despair and pain. What if we left this place? What if at the end of our lives, every single year, those 66, 800-page books, we open those up and we ask, what story did I tell of my life? Was it one of destruction or encouragement? One of harm or one of healing? One of death or one of life, let's commit every day this week, start small, to open our mouths to bring life and healing and purpose and grace and mercy and beauty with everything that we say. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us well beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. And God, for whatever thing it is that we feel like we're tripped up by, However we've used our words to spew hatred or anger or destruction, God, would you uproot those trees in our lives? Would you remind us that we can't do this thing on our own? We need you, God, to plant a new tree, to dig a new well. May we be a people who bring healing and life wherever we are. Thank you, God. We love you and we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.